Good morning, church. Good to see everyone here. You may be comfortably seated. Thank you, everyone. Welcome that are here in the well with us today. Those that have been running the marathon or looking at it from their car that are straggling in, we totally understand. What a deal. I uh, always wonder how it worked with all the porta potties. Whether you run a marathon and you stop, you get tape. I, I don't know. I've never run anywhere unless somebody was blowing a whistle behind me myself, so, so there's that. We want to welcome everybody that's live streaming, uh, the gang at Triple C, everybody that will watch this later. Welcome, welcome. Let's, uh, let's pray for a moment. Father, you are in our midst, Father. My prayer today is that you speak individually to each one of us. I pray that you would this message of your word would resonate in the hearts of everyone who consumes your message in whatever time frame today. Father, we're grateful for your guidance. We're grateful for your instruction. Your word explains all that we need to know about living this life and receiving your grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hello. Yes, I'm normal today. (laughs) That's a broad statement, huh? Hi, I'm Kim Larson, and I am the leader of our children's ministry, Kingdom Kids, here at The Well. Yay. Oh, thank you. I know. Yeah, if you saw what I really did back there with your children, I, I don't know. But no, I'm kidding. Um, a couple things. I just want to let you know what we are having. On March 31st, yes, it's just around the corner, we are having our annual Easter egg hunt and family celebration after our service on the back patio. And we will have a, oh, actually two jolly jumps and we will have some light refreshments. Um, we'll have more information coming up. Oh, there it is there. That's bigger there. Um, yeah, so we invite families. Um, we are asking, we do have some pre-filled eggs, um, but we're also asking for some donations for pre-filled eggs. So if you want, that would be great. Um, bring them by the church on Sunday and drop them off by the Kingdom Kids room or wherever. Um, so, But otherwise, we do have some, so hopefully we plan to have a lot of kids. Um, we're going to have games, activities for all the families, so um, we hope you'll join us. Uh, anything else? Oh, Easter Bunny and Friends will be there. Yes. Yes. And you know what word is, is they may come by one of our services. I don't know if we're, if we're lucky. All right. Um, also, uh, I have some help to ask of everybody here for all our families. Um, after service, um, if you could help us, those with children and also our church family, um, a lot of times some of the kids, we have a big patio back there, grass area, playground and everything. If you can help us just to remind your children and the other children just to keep the running outside, Um, There's been a few instances when they start running in here in the sanctuary and in the hallways, there are people with hot drinks, they kind of collide. We don't want anyone to fall down, um, us older people, and and also the children. So um, if you can just remind the children, hey, running is outside, um, that would be really, really helpful. Um, It'll keep, keep some injuries down and keep our children safe, and then 
big area outside, so hopefully they'll have fun out there. So thank you, everybody. And on that note, uh, Kingdom Kids, let's go out the back doors and let's go have some fun. Good morning. Um, I just have a couple quick announcements. Again, that the uh, there's going to be a women's worship evening, uh, March 16th, 7 to 8 a.m. p.m. Uh, right here uh, on in the Commons. So we'd love for you all to come and join us. We've had some great uh, worship evenings uh, previously, so please come and join us for that. And also the um, survey. Uh, we still have more surveys if you'd like one. They're out on the cart, women's ministry surveys. We'd like to hear from you. Not only your own preferences, kind of what works for you, we do want to know that, but also just prayerfully consider how you can be involved um, with women's ministry or within the church. So um, they're also on the cart. I could hand you one of those, grab one yourself, fill it out. We have no deadline um, just, but we'd like them in the next couple of weeks. Also, which is very exciting, it is on the front page of the website. So you can do it um, electronically. Just click. There's a button. Just click. It's on the front page of the website. Fill it out and submit it, and we will get those as well. Thank you. And our final announcement is that there is chapel at the Continuing Care Center this afternoon. It's at 1.45 p.m. Uh, behind Ohio Hospital, so if you can make it, that'd be awesome. You may be seated. This past Friday morning, actually, we had a memorial here at the well, and it was a wonderful celebration of life. And uh, as I often do at memorials, I closed with a poem called The Dash. And if you've uh, been to memorials any length of time with me, you know that uh, pretty much 99% of the time I'm going to bring this out. And, and I thought of this this morning, actually. I wanted to share it because uh, there's a direct connection between the dash and grace. And in fact, the dash applies to 100% of the people in this room and those of you at home and those that will be watching later, because the dash in this poem refers to the dash between our date of birth and the date that we leave this planet. So one out of one people have a dash. The question is, what are you doing with your dash? And even more specific to the series that we've been in, how does grace impact the quality of your dash? See, we don't have necessarily control over the quantity, do we? The number. But what we can control, even today, that, you know, if you think about your dash, today is a part of it, isn't it? Your dash, the, the ball is being advanced today. The question is, what are you going to do with this part of your dash today, specifically even as it relates to grace, the grace that is available to everyone? So this is called The Dash by Linda Ellis. It says this. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came her date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. 
For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth, and now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So... When your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? And I love to incorporate that into memorial services because when people gather for memorial services, uh, there's two components. There's the remembering, but then I also like to bring in the reflecting, the now what. What can we take from this person's life and how they impacted us? But then how can we move forward and bring that forward for the remaining time we have on our dash? On our dash. And I thought, you know, if we're going to glorify God, pursue holiness, godliness, experience transformation for the remainder of our dash on this planet, we have got to understand grace And we have got to appropriate grace because that is foundational to our dash. And we're going to continue looking at grace today. We saw that our our working definition of the last couple of weeks is grace in simple terms is God's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification. We've seen that grace isn't just that we're saved by God's grace, unmerited favor, nothing we did to earn it, keep it. It's a gift, so that's salvation. But we live by God's grace. The fact that you're here this morning is a testament to God's grace, his supernaturally enabling, empowering, giving you another day on this planet, right? And we're talking about, well, how do I appropriate that? Even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he wanted the Christians in Ephesus to know grace, to experience grace. In Ephesians 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wants the believers to have grace and peace. And that's our heart here. As pastors, as elders, we want you to know God's grace and peace. Ray Steadman says this, The two great heritages of the Christian are grace and peace. These are two things you can always have, no matter what your circumstances. Grace is all God's power, all his love, all his beauty available to you. It is a marvelous term which wraps up all that God is And offers to us. Peace is freedom from anxiety, fear, and worry. These are the two characteristics which ought to mark Christians all the time. Grace, God at work in their life. And peace, a sense of security, of trust. That's our heart. That's why we're going through this series. We want you to know God's grace and his peace. 
You're like, okay, that sounds great. That sounds great. I really, I, yes, amen to that, right? But how? How? Because again, like I said, grace is a very churchy word, right? And some of us associate it with praying, saying grace. Many of us probably, I'm going to guess, a very high percentage of us this morning did not include grace in asking for grace for today. You might have asked God to deal with somebody today. You might have asked God to fix something today. But when you said, good morning, God, I give you this day, I need your grace. I'm not sure how many of us actually said, Lord, I need your grace this morning. I want your grace. I'm asking for your grace this morning. That's a very biblical prayer. To ask for God's grace every day and then throughout the day. But if we don't understand grace and perhaps still slot it into salvation... Well, we received God's grace, and then we, t- we kind of tuck it over there, but as now we're following Jesus in the reality and practicality of life, for whatever reason, we don't ask and walk in grace. And I'm praying that again this morning as the Holy Spirit speaks through his word that your life, we saw a quote the last two weeks that I really love, your life could be revolutionized. Someone here this morning, my prayer has been that you will understand God's grace in a very powerful, experiential way, and you'll leave here different than when you showed up. Or if you're at home, different than when you woke up and turned on the TV or the computer, right? And, and this word grace, it can be kind of slippery. It can be one of those things, well, okay, I'm asking for God's grace, but what is it, and, 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 and how does that whole thing work? Well, we're going to look at a passage uh, that I love how the, how the Lord does this. He helps us to understand grace through what's called a paradox. Now, a, par- a paradox is a statement that appears on the surface to be contrary to expectation. It kind of seems a little hard to understand, almost a little maybe like, like problematic, contradictory, because there seems to be two opposing statements in this paradox, right? And, and yet, a paradox is very important because what it does is it, it grabs our attention, It forces us to think, what does he mean? What does she mean by that? And then paradoxes can be used to reveal deeper truth. And so you may be familiar, you know, with with some of these paradoxes. When when uh, When you're just like, what does that mean, right? Less is more. Right? Initially, you're like, less is more, what? But as you think about it, you're like, oh, oh, yes, I agree. Less is more in some situations, right? And then when you condense a paradox into two words, that's called an oxymoron, right? Jumbo shrimp. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) right? A loud silence. Right? It, it, what it does is it, wait, right? And, and we're going to see that God helps us to understand and appropriate grace because the Apostle Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to see, what does that mean? Because that's a paradox. And in, 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 our, in our situations, it's actually called a situational paradox. 
And so to help us understand this incredible truth, God uses a paradox to stop us in our tracks, to stop us from just tucking it away into VBS and, you know, a checklist. Yeah, I heard good. No, like, when I am weak, then I am strong. What? That doesn't make sense, especially in this culture. This whole idea of weakness and strength, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a paradox, right? And we're going to look at that. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. The Apostle Paul, in context, is speaking about his calling as an apostle, his ministry. And so he says, he shares an incident. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if you're catching this, many of you as believers, we should all be like, I want that. I want to be able to say that about my life. And what is the core of this? Grace. Grace. So we're going to walk through this, and I'm hoping that, again, God will speak to you for whatever thorn you're going through right now or will go through even before you put your head down on the pillow or tomorrow at work or school. Just life is full of thorns. Amen? So we're going to see what do we do with these thorns? How do we process these thorns that God allows in our life to actually grow in grace, to actually grow in grace. So in verse 7, it says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, there's, if you were to research this, there's a whole lot of discussion, opinion about what this actual thorn was, right? And, and uh, it's a very powerful description. No one knows for sure, but what we do know is when it says a thorn, he's not talking about a rosebush thorn, okay? That word thorn is a stake used for impaling or torturing someone. It's like a railroad spike. So we don't know what it is, but this railroad spike incident, thorn, trial, tribulation used to impale or torture something. So this is big. This is a biggie that has been allowed in the Apostle Paul's life, right? To torment, right? To torment him, which means to beat or strike with a fish. It's constant. It's recurring. So the Apostle Paul is dealing with a big issue, a railroad spike-sized, torturous, agonizing situation, Okay? But look what it says in verse 7. Again, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So he says, you know what? This thing, I was going through it, it's huge. But underlying verse 7, this is our first, you know, we're going to have a look at four P words today. 
is purpose. If you and I are going to appropriate God's grace, we have to trust God's purpose. In verse 7, what does Paul say? To keep me from becoming conceited. There was a purpose to this thorn. Some of us, when thorns, railroad spike issues emerge in our life, we're not thinking about the purpose, are we? We're thinking about the pain. We're fixating on the pain, right? And Paul is saying, you know what? I understood that there was a purpose. There was a purpose. I'm not just a victim of randomness, chance, fate. God is in control and God had a purpose. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Around here, we often say God is good, and all the time, we also reaffirm all the time God's sovereignty, God is in control 24-7, 365. The Bible says he never slumbers or sleeps. So if God is good and God is sovereign, when there is a thorn that is allowed to come into my life or your life, rather than focusing on the pain, we need to discipline ourselves to say, Lord, you are good. And all the time, you desire my good. You are still in control. You are still on the throne. What is your purpose? I'm going to trust by faith that you have allowed this for your good purpose. Your sovereign purpose. Okay? I love what Jerry Bridges says this. We admit that we are often unable to reconcile God's sovereignty and goodness in the face of widespread tragedy or personal adversity. But we believe that, although we often do not understand God's ways, he is sovereignly at work in all of our circumstances. God's plan and his way of working out his plan are frequently beyond our ability to fathom and understand. We must learn to trust when we don't understand. If you can, if you can discipline yourself to stay focused, even when you don't understand, you're going to be on the road to receiving God's grace. You're not going to get hung up on the, I don't get this. There are some things that our little peanut finite minds are not going to get. I have some questions when I get up there. Anyone have questions? Like, Lord, I never really understood this. Can you explain this to me? Because my little peanut finite mind didn't understand it. We have to, by faith, choose to trust God and his purpose even when we don't understand. Even when we don't understand. Okay? Here's a great example, James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, and my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you see the purpose behind it? Because there's a purpose behind the trials and tribulations, we can count it joy. Because God in his goodness, God in his sovereignty is using it for my good and your good. Amen? So if we can say purpose, we're on our way to appropriating God's grace in it. We're not getting hung up on, I don't like this, I don't understand this. Okay, it's very real. 
but we still understand we have the, choo- the, the ability to choose faith and trust. And then 2 Corinthians 12.8 says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I love this honesty in Scripture. Three times. Lord, I got a railroad spike issue. It's agonizing. It's torture. Can you take it away, please? Nope. And two more times, he pleads, right? I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. And three times, the Lord answered him, didn't he? And what was the answer? No, no, I'm going to leave this, right? Anybody here ever have a thorn issue that you pleaded with God to take away? Anybody ever get the no? All right, you might deal with that right now. Some of you, as you sit here this morning, there is a thorn, a railroad spike. And with the best of intentions, there's nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong with Paul's prayer. There's nothing wrong with your prayer, even your pleading. Lord, please. Remember Jesus in the garden? Jesus in the garden. If there's any way, Lord, you can take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will. Even Jesus was asking, hey, you know, Father, it doesn't look pretty present. I'm about to experience And yet Father was like, no, you need to go through this. You're going to need to go through this. And so Paul's reaction was in his prayer was when it was normal, not necessarily anything anything wrong with that. And yet we learn something from this. And here's a very important component to us receiving God's grace. Paul is pleading, I, I call this grace mathematics. And this is what many of us, this is how we pray. He's praying a prayer of subtraction. Father, I got this railroad spike in my life. Would you please subtract it? Would you please take it away? Right? Again, nothing necessarily wrong with that, but how many of us, for the most part, most of your prayers are subtraction prayers? Right? Subtraction. This, 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 Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. Move this person away, right? (laughs) How many of you honestly have prayed that God would lovingly move someone on from work, in your neighborhood, (laughs) sports team, classroom, right? Right? So we all kind of get this subtraction. Lord, just take it away, take this situation away, and I'll, I'll just move on. Thank you very much for subtracting. But the crazy thing here. When, when the Lord said, no, Paul, this isn't a question of subtraction. It's actually an, an addition problem. This, isn't, this wasn't subtraction. God was teaching Paul, this thorn in your life is not a subtraction problem. It's an addition. I want you, I, I want you to get the fact that when you're going through something, grace can be added. And when grace is added, there's the victory that we saw last Sunday. Amen? So maybe this week you've been praying subtraction, a subtraction-heavy prayer. What would happen today, even right now, if you said, Father, okay, if it's not subtraction, then I'm going to ask for your addition. Amen? Some radical things might happen. 
Some radical things might happen if you shift your prayer request from subtraction to addition. Radical things will happen, even in the midst of the continuous railroad spike. It's still there. The thorn is there, but what's different? You with the addition of God's grace. Amen? That's the radical shift. That's the radical shift, okay? And so in verse 8 and 9, right, God says, you know what? Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to add grace to you, right? And then it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So there's a purpose. There's a provision, God's grace. And with that provision comes a promise. That his grace is sufficient. Amen? You see the promise in there? He doesn't say, oh yeah, I hear you, Paul. Here's my grace. He said, no, Paul, I'm adding my grace and I'm promising you it is sufficient. It is sufficient. What does that mean? It's enough. It's enough. God's grace literally is all we need. Continuously, it says, is, it's present tense. Present tense. My grace is continually, will always be present tense. You know, the scripture says God is a very present help in trouble. My grace will always be all you need, no matter what happens in your life. And what's interesting is that our response to God's sufficiency of grace should be peace. Amen? See, we, we tend to operate, some of us, in what I call a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset is we're always feeling like we're lacking. If only this, I'm lacking this, I need more money, I need more this, I need more this. Kind of this scarcity mindset, right, that we're always lacking something, we're always insufficient, so it just, just needs a little bit more, I just get here. That's a scarcity mindset. What God is saying is, you know what? My grace is never scarce. My grace is sufficient. So if you hit the pause button, whatever Goliath, thorn, railroad spike you're going through right now or will go through, God is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for that. My grace is sufficient for that. There's, the Bible says there's nothing too difficult for him. Amen? His grace is sufficient. Everyone say Sufficient. It's all you need. It's right there, right? Warren Wiersbe says this. God did not give Paul any explanations. Instead, he gave him a promise. My grace is sufficient for thee. We do not live on explanations. We live on promises. Amen? Our feelings change, but God's promises never change. Promises generate faith, and faith strengthens hope. You got to get, as a believer, can I, can I use your real Bible? Because, again, I don't like holding up my digital for this. God didn't give him an explanation. Well, Paul, here's what I'm doing, and let me just explain the background, and let me give you some history of why this, where the thorn came from, the Greek for thorn, the Hebrew for thorn. He didn't give him any explanation. He gave him a promise. Some of us 
are not experiencing God's grace and victory because we're hung up on wanting an explanation. Anyone ever parent a child? Why? 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 And how many of you, at a certain point, just said, because I said so? Because I said so. I'm not going to give an explanation to you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how it's going down. I'm going to promise. And if you don't do it, I'm going to promise. <laughs> God, we, God is not here to give us explanations all the time. He gives us promises all the time. You want to experience God's grace and victory? Depend on his promises and not explanations. Because if you get hung on explanations, you might get bitter and angry because you don't get the explanation you want. Right? Paul says, take it away, take it away, take it away. God gives no explanation. He gives them provision and a promise. Our theology is based on God's word and God's promises, not explanations. And that's where faith comes in. Thank you, Bill. That's where faith comes in. So he has purpose, there's provision, there's a promise. And what's really interesting is then Paul has this incredible uh, revelation where suddenly he has this paradox. Wait, wait, power, weakness. God says his power is made perfect in weakness. Hmm. See, Paul was a very intelligent, educated man, right? He was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he came from high education. He was a driver, Paul was a driver. He was a religious leader. He was a driver. And so when, when the Lord says, my power is made perfect in weakness, Paul, like many of us, would have said, what? I thought power it comes from power. Isn't that the whole deal? Don't, aren't I supposed to increase my power, my intelligence, my giftings, everything, so I get more power? And Paul, and God throws this paradox, says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And what's interesting in Corinthians, this passage, the city of Corinth was very wealthy. It was a business center, right? It was pretty much like, oh, hi, SoCal. A lot of business people, a lot of successful, self-made men and women, rich, wealthy. And into that, and to Paul, God says, you know what? My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. Question. How do you deal with weakness? How do you deal with weakness? Because, see, weakness is not celebrated in our culture, is it? What is weakness? Failure, inadequacy, right? Fear, shame, embarrassment. What are they going to think about me at the Bible study if I share my weaknesses? Even in church, when we go around and it's time to share prayer requests, I've been doing this for 30 years. We are skilled at deflecting. Let's go around and share prayer requests. What do you do? You know, it comes to me. Any prayer requests? Yeah, can you pray for my mom? No, prayer requests for you. Yeah, can you pray for my mom? Now, my mom might need genuine prayer, 
But what am I doing? I'm deflecting away from asking for prayer for my weaknesses and my needs. Because even in that prayer circle, I'm scared to death what the other men are going to think about me if I ask for prayer for lust, prayer for pride, prayer because I'm struggling with the use of time. I'm, 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 I'm struggling at work. I might get fired. See, weakness, this paradox of weakness, we're going to have to deal with that. You want to experience God's grace. Because God himself says, my power is made perfect in weakness. On the weakness scale, how willing are you to genuinely share your weaknesses. And it's tough. It is tough, even in the world of church. You got dressed this morning. Many of you, you look great, right? Come up here and, how you doing? Good. How was your week? Fine. Right? Because even here at church, we don't want to show weakness. Because sometimes, honestly, the church itself has not done grace very well. We don't do that very well sometimes. And maybe you tried to share a weakness somewhere in your church experience. And rather than compassion and grace, you got more of a, hmm, what's wrong with you? There must be something wrong with you. Because a real Christian a more mature Christian, and what do we do? Because we, we not, haven't been really good at grace, what we've done is we've actually shot ourselves in the foot as a church for us expressing and sharing weaknesses. And so now we just live our lives as islands, separated and isolated, mostly because we're scared about what our brothers and sisters in Christ will think about us if we actually share weakness. The result of that is we're disconnected from God's grace. And rather than God's grace being sufficient, you know what happens in the church? We're still self-sufficient. I'll figure this out. I got this. I just need to pray more. I need, I need to get more. I, 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 I. And rather than relying on the sufficiency of God's grace, his provision, his promise, the purpose behind it, we're so scared of revealing weakness that it's still about me protecting myself. We live in self-sufficiency and self-protection, even in the church. David Guzik says this, we really don't believe God's grace is sufficient until we believe we are insufficient. For many of us, especially in American culture, this is a huge obstacle. We are the people who idolize the self-made man or woman and want to rely on ourselves. But we can't receive God's strength until we know our weakness we can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. Are you even able? Where are you on that scale of being able to acknowledge, admit, and maybe even share your insufficiency? What are you scared of? What are you really scared of? And if it's fear of man, what people think about me, 
I'll put my hand up with that too. Probably double for me because I'm supposed to have it all together, right? Real hard for me to go to a men's group. Share real prayer requests. Take off the pastor hat and just be richy. Uh, I kind of perfected that art of deflection really good, right? Because, uh, you know, you're up there, you're speaking, right? No, don't you got this wired, you know? Ask my wife. No. <laughs> really? Really? We're there. Yeah, I know. She's honest. Thank you. John MacArthur says this. When we are least effective in our human strength and have only God's power to sustain us, then we are suitable channels through which his power flows. And so we should praise God for adversity because that's when his power is most evident in our lives. I love this. There is no one too weak to be powerful, but there are many too strong. There's a paradox for you. Are you too strong to actually be strong in God's grace? Is your strength actually your weakness? Hindering God's grace in your life and in my life. Because I don't need anybody. I don't need to ask for help. And I'm just speaking. This is me speaking. I was raised this way. I was raised in a culture where you do not show weakness. You do not show. Weakness is being a punk. Weakness is failure. Weakness is inadequacy. Weakness is what's wrong with you. Through sports, martial arts, all this kind of stuff, I learned to turn off weakness. It just, it just didn't happen where I come from, right? It was defeat. Ooh, hate losing. How many of you hate losing anything, right? I had an older brother, like three years older than me, and we did brother things growing up, played army, tackle football against each other, right? He would beat me all the time, like just beat me. I didn't realize till like I was an adult, he was supposed to because he was three years older than me, right? But in that experience, I learned perseverance. I learned, you know, not to quit. But man, I hate losing at anything. And so when you comes to this, you know, my power is made perfect in weakness, to me, it's tough because weakness is synonymous with losing. Anybody here have a hard time waving a white flag? Anyone sitting next to someone who has a hard time waving a white flag, admitting your, let's all say it together, gentlemen, wrong. Kind of got an amen from the ladies. What? Again, honey? Really? Because it's weakness. One of our core challenges if, as a church, an individual in your life, if you want to experience God's grace, you're going to have to deal with this weakness because that's what's hindering. God himself says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Are you able to come clean about weakness? Your weakness. And it will be risky. It will be risky. It might not be in the men's group here on a Sunday morning, it might be, but it might, what it might be is, hey, Randy, can I talk to you after service, one-on-one? It might be the right context with the right person, where you take 
a risk to share and admit weakness, sin, inadequacy, insufficiency. Come clean and say, you know what, brother, I have tried everything and I am at the end of my rope. I'm waving a white flag. I can't. Right? There's that, that's right. Wrong and can't. How many of you have a hard time admitting you can't? I can't. That might be hindering God's grace. Because the truth is, you can't, but He can. But because you're not willing to admit your can't, you're not letting His can go in. You see how it works? You see the paradox? We become the obstacle. We are the limiter, the governor to God's grace because we are unwilling, unable to come clean about our can't and weakness. And here's the crazy thing. He already knows. Who are you fooling? You might fool me. You might fool the ladies in Bible study. You might fool your neighbors. You ain't fooling God. You're not. God is good all the time and he's wanting. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And you're like, I got this. I still got this. I got this. No, I know. Thank you. Thank you. Don't call me. I'll call you. Right? I've been there. Literally. God, thank you. I got this. Anyone? I got this. I know your grace is sufficient. I know your power is made perfect in my weakness. Thank you. But I got this. I'll let you know. I'll call you. Text. Some of you, literally, today, before you leave here, if you'll wave the white flag and say, I can't, God's grace is right here, like right now. Like right now. just waiting for you just waiting for you and paul got it i love paul remember the context of where he comes from in verse 9 and 10 he reveals that he got it transformation he says this therefore i have cheerfully made up my mind to be proud of my weaknesses because they mean a deeper experience of the power of christ I can even enjoy weaknesses, suffering, privations, persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For my very weakness makes me strong in him. Amen? Do you see the transformation that happened? Do you see it? That is revelation of someone who gets it. Rather than hiding weakness, rather than being embarrassed about weakness, he's embracing weakness. Stop being embarrassed about your weakness. Embrace it, because when you do, all of God's grace comes rushing in. And you are set free, mostly from the fear of man and failure and rejection and conditional love and whatever else head trip you're going through. The Apostle Paul got it. He has this radical change. And so going back to the Bible math, here's, here's the key to transformation. Remember addition and subtraction? Our transformation in grace and in holiness does not come from the elimination of thorns. It comes in the midst of the thorn. Amen? But many of us, again, even our prayers, 
We picked up somewhere that I'm supposed to pray that God eliminates the thorns. And God's like, what are you talking about? It's through the thorns and the trials that you are transformed. Amen? And for some of us today, the transformation is wave the white flag. Wave the white flag. Admit your insufficiency. Admit you're done being self-sufficient. Receive his grace. Receive his grace. And there's other implications. I like this by J.E. Yoder. He says, weakness helps us to relate to others and lets God power work, God's power work in our lives. That may be our greatest asset. Here's, here's, here's a consequence of you and I coming clean about our weaknesses, receiving God's sufficient grace. You know what happens? You and I become more graceful and gracious to others. Amen? See, we want this to be a church where when someone is coming clean about their weaknesses, need prayer for things they're struggling with, and they're being honest and authentic. Again, around here, we don't do this. We do this. We don't do this. We do this. Right? Because here's the truth. We're all weak. If you come to me with prayer requests about weakness, you're just talking to someone who's got my own. We're just fellow journeymen and journeywomen. Amen? There's no room to be doing this. We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to point you to the promises of God's word. We're going to pray. We're going to give you counsel, and it's going to be honest counsel about what steps you can take practically. But at the root and core of it around here, we would desire it to be rooted in grace because we've just all received the same grace. Amen? We're just all grace recipients. We can, choice. We can make those choices. Okay? So again, four Ps help you through this. Maybe, you know, because I know some of you guys like this. Four Ps of appropriating God's grace. There's a purpose. There's provision. God's promise, it's sufficient. And then if you put those three together, they add up to a radically changed perspective. Amen? A radically changed perspective on yourself and on the thorn that has been allowed. There's purpose, there's provision, there's God's promise. And suddenly, you can leave here today with a radically different perspective of that thorn that you've been actually asking God to subtract. And he's like, no, it's not subtraction. This is an addition problem. Let me add the grace. But if you're going to receive the grace that I want to add, note to self, you got to get out of the way. You got to come clean. You got to admit that you need my sufficient grace because you can't. You, in and of yourself, are insufficient. That's a biggie. And that can send you to a whole lot of places of your identity, your inadequacy, again, insecurities, all of that. But I already want you to know, again, I'm going to remind you, God already knows it all. You're just fooling yourself and maybe us. Start this way. Amen? He already knows. The Bible says there's nothing hidden from his sight. God is good. And all the time, he's so good that he wants you to experience his grace, which is sufficient for any thorn 
in your life. That's how good he is. And then finally, if we're going to appropriate and experience God's grace, we have to also understand it's not about us. If we're appropriating God's grace and being transformed, God gets the glory. See, if it's all about me and I'm self-sufficient and I'm even becoming godly and I kind of deeply feel like it's all me and I've done this really great stuff at the church and now I'm this and now i got a title and now I'm serving here, deep down, we can become self-righteous and spiritually arrogant. But if I understand, by the grace of God, I am what I am <laughs> and I have no claim to any of this, then God gets the glory. God gets the glory. 1 Corinthians 1. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. That's the church. The church is just made up of the redeemed. People who wave a white flag and say, I need a savior. I need to be saved by grace. I am living by grace. Yes, it is completely opposite of what the world says. Is valued, is esteemed. The world is all about power and achievement and success and self-reliance and self-sufficiency. And along comes this and says, nope. Here's my church, and I'm going to do some supernatural things in my church that the world is going to sit up and take notice. Amen? And it's going to confuse them. The world will literally be confused. And that's a good thing, because then God gets the glory, right? 2 Corinthians 4, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. He's talking, Apostle Paul's speaking about his ministry. We preach that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts. Here we go. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You want to experience God's grace? then admit that you are a fragile clay jar filled with God's grace. You see? But we flipped that. I ain't no fragile clay jar. Right? I'm a mason jar. I'm, I'm clay fragile. See, that word fragile is like wrinkling some of your feathers. Fragile. Fragile. Ain't no fragile. I'm a man. Ain't no fragile. Call me fragile. I'll show you fragile, right? Some of you don't like that. Why not? When it comes to God's grace and God's sufficiency, if you and I will come to the place of accepting our fragile nature, our insufficiency, you might just see God do something supernatural in your life unexplainable and when you you experience the transformation and others start seeing the transformation you're like i know it's crazy i'm just a fragile clay jar that's the lord amen that's what we are 
But I get it. Even in church, we get dressed up and it's all professional and it looks good and we're anything but fragile clay jars. I get that. It is a paradox, even of how we do church. It's challenging because it goes back to self-image and pride and what people will think about me. Self. Self, right? And so we got to be honest. But then also, one, one help, I want to close with this story. We also have to learn to be thankful for the thorns. Be thankful. And there's a story I found, and it's called Blessings in Disguise. It says this. We don't often thank God for our trials, heartaches, and difficulties. Although we are willing to praise him for his goodness, we sometimes fail to realize that even adverse circumstances are blessings in disguise. Scottish preacher George Matheson had that problem. He realized that he was not as ready to praise God when things went wrong as he was when they went right. However, after he began to lose his eyesight, he changed his thinking. He struggled for some months with this weary burden until he reached the point where he could pray. Quote, my God, I have never thanked you for my thorn. I have thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorn. I have been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensated for my cross, but I have never thought of my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the value of my thorn. When we count our blessings, we should include the weaknesses, the hardships, the burdens, and the trials we face. If we do, we might find that God has used our difficulties more than the quote-unquote good things to help us grow spiritually. Why is that? Because it is in those difficult places that we discover the sufficiency of his grace. In our trials, we turn to God. As we depend on him, we find that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Take a moment and think about the way God has led you. When you praise God for your blessings, do you remember to thank him for the thorns? That can radically change your perspective. And so in just a little bit, we're going to listen to a song. Many of you uh, know it's called, Lord, I Need You. But I'm going to ask you, we're going to put the words up, but I'm, rather than just listening, I, I would encourage you to make this your prayer. When it says, Lord, I need you, make it you. Singing and communicating to Father through the lyric. And maybe you need to thank him for this thorn. Maybe you realize this morning, it's, oh, gosh, I've been dealing with subtraction. It's not a subtraction problem. It's an addition problem. <laughs> that can be liberating. That literally can set you free from some bitterness and some anger. If you just see like, oh, God has a purpose. He's adding his grace. Maybe this morning during the song, you need to confess your pride and your challenge with admitting weakness. Not willing to give up. Hold on tenaciously to the very end. Nothing necessarily wrong with perseverance and all of that. I'm not saying that. What we're saying is that's a problem when it gets in the way of God's grace. Because it's like, thanks, but no thanks. I got this. Right? Years and years ago, I was in high school ministry, and we took the kids to Kern River. And uh, we were in the raft. There was like six of us, and we had had a pretty event-free uh, journey down the river. And we came to this one rapid, which was pretty big, and in the rapid, there was this big boulder in the middle. 
And the guide says, we're going to hit the boulder, then we're going to spin off, and we're going to keep going. Well, what happened was we hit the boulder sideways, and the raft went up almost 45, 60 degree, got pinned against this boulder. And kids, a lot of them went tumbling out in, you know, and I was able to scramble onto this boulder, and the, the raft had this line around it. And in my mind, I'm, I don't know why, I thought, like, I'm going to hold the raft. I'm going to fix this, right? I'm going to hold the raft. So I'm, I'm on this boulder, and all this tons of water is going by. The raft is on there, and I'm pulling, I'm holding on this rope, like, forever, like, felt like forever, right? And good things going on. And I'm holding, and I'm holding, and I'm holding until I couldn't hold anymore, Right? I'm like, ah, and I literally, physically could not hold it. I let it go. And you know what happened when I let it go? It stayed right there. (laughs) I wasn't doing a thing to help. I'm like, are you kidding me? Here I was, like, you know, youth pastor saves kids off raft. I'm like, boom. Some of us. You're driving yourself into the ground, holding on, thinking you're doing something. And God's grace is saying, let it go and watch my grace. It's there. Just let it go. Let my grace be sufficient. Let my grace be sufficient because it is. That's the provision with the promise. Okay? So we're going to listen to this song. It came to me this morning. I appreciate the bridge guys being flexible to put this up. But it really was like, you know what? Let's have a time of... Because this is a lot. Especially when we learn that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Especially when the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to embrace my weakness. For many here, many at home. That weakness thing is tough. I get it. So maybe a first step is to sing or just listen to this as a prayer. And when you say, Lord, I need you, what you're kind of saying in code is, I'm weak. Lord, I need you. Code, I'm insufficient. I can't handle this. I need you. I'm surrendering. I need you. I need your grace. Okay? So, Father, thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that there is a purpose for the thorns in our life. Thank you for your promise in your word. Thank you that we can be very honest with you about our weaknesses and our insufficiencies, our inadequacies in the human level. So Father, as we Don't just listen to the song, but maybe pray this song. I pray that it would be time of confession, a time of just honesty, a time of even gratitude, but a time for us to say, Lord, I need your grace. Thank you that it is sufficient. I bring your grace. I ask you to bring your grace into these thorns that I'm facing right now. So, Father, I need you. And if you're here this morning and you need Jesus as a Savior and you want to receive God's grace, you can do that during this song as well. Put your faith in Jesus. Say, Lord, I need you as my Savior and Lord. I receive the gift of grace of your salvation. I believe you were crucified, you died and rose again. So, Lord, I need you to be my Savior and Lord. Whatever it is, we give you this time of prayer, of worship, 
because we all need the Lord. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep. Your grace is more, grace is found, is where you are, where Grace and peace to you this morning, church. Amen. We're going to come before the communion table this morning. And communion, communion, by the very meaning of the word itself, communion is a sharing and a participating 
That's what the word means. This communion meal that we take together, the Lord's Supper, you see, it's, it's an ordinance of the church, isn't it? It's also a command. We're commanded to take the Lord's Supper. Jesus tells us why. This morning, in recognition of the fact that this is a sharing and a participating, this is how we're going to take communion as saints this morning in this place. We're going to come to the table. Quiet reverence and take the elements and then go back to our seats. And when we go back to our seats, if you would wait, there'll be a song playing, at least music in the background, hopefully reverent. And when everybody has seated, been seated, We'll pray together, and then we'll take the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, together. We'll be participating in the communion meal together. We will be sharing in the remembrance of the Lord together. Amen? So I invite you to... Start the music bridge, and if you are able, if you're not able, we'll bring you a communion cup, but take the cups back to your seat, and then I'll lead us into the communion meal together. Come forward to the table.
This morning, let's just allow this scripture to be our prayer together as a church family in the taking of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup. And finally, in prayer, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. So God is good and all the time. Thank you, Richie, for your obedience to the God of all creation, the Lord, and commitment to the power and the truth of the word of God in this place. It is quite powerful, isn't it? It is just quite powerful, and I... What a privilege it is to stand before you and look at all of these faces and see the saints of the Lord in this place that are worshiping in his presence in this place. Amen? Amen. What a powerful and great message that we need to hear and understand and appropriate, right? The grace of the living God in our lives. So, church, may the God of all grace. Show you this week, may he show you this week, that his power is made perfect in our weakness, and all to his glory and for his purposes. Amen? Amen. Have a great week, everybody, until we return.